Here we go. Yep, we're back. It's 2024, January the 8th in the year of our Lord, 2024. Boy, we keep talking about Christmas coming, and now it's already gone, and we're getting ready for the next Christmas. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. You're listening to Law and Gospel. And today we're taking a look at readings for the second Sunday after the Epiphany, which is January the 14th in the year of our Lord, 2024. Readings are from 1 Samuel 3, 1 Corinthians 6, and John chapter 1. We're going to be taking a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we want to remind you my email address for 2024 is tombaker at brick.net. That's B-R-I-C-K dot net. And yes, I am available for preaching on Sundays or doing Bible studies or getting together with the congregations on topics, just email me if you're looking for someone to do those kinds of things. But today, we want to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 12. Not long ago, I had the opportunity of speaking at a Missouri District Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Conference. And I was talking about a subject that is kind of dear to my heart from a law and gospel point of view. Let me ask you some questions here. Number one, do you know of a congregation that teaches the Ten Commandments. Number two, do you know of a congregation that talks about the Apostles' Creed? Number three, do you know of a congregation that does the Lord's Prayer? Number four, do you know of a congregation that practices baptism. Number five, do you know of a congregation that has the Lord's Supper, either on a regular Sunday or every other Sunday or at least once a month? All right. I would say that if you are listening to those questions, you answered yes to all of them. So let me give you the last question. Do you know of a congregation that practiced excommunication? I did this in front of over 20 pastors at the Missouri District Conference, and they all put their hands up for the first five but nobody put their hands up for the last one, excommunication. 
Now, why is that important? Because that is actually a part of Martin Luther's small catechism, where he talks about discipline. And discipline sometimes involves excommunication, as he did. Remember with that young man who had an inappropriate relationship with his stepmother? He was to be removed from the communion table. But in another letter, Paul was eager to announce that he had repented of his sin and he was back in communion. So our text for today from 1 Corinthians 6 is really about discipline in the church. It's a part of the law. It says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy both one and the other. Now, in our day, I would say that applies to people who use their body to eat or smoke drugs. That is really enslaving you to something other than the Word of God. Yes, all of us at times may get depressed over what is happening in our life, but is alcohol or drugs, are those the ways to get so enslaved to them that it makes you feel good? It makes you feel good because it kind of gets you to forget about your problem. I really enjoy watching certain things on the inner tube. And one of them, of course, is cops. I can't believe how many times the police stop someone who is inebriated. They begin to fight with the police. They argue with the police. They use swear words against the police. And I often wonder what they think when they later see this on YouTube. Because a lot of times, with the police now wearing cameras, it is all recorded. And I tell you, I would really be embarrassed if I was caught inebriated. Uh, I, I personally don't drink alcohol. I might like a beer every now and then, but boy, it's been a few months since I've even had one. And when I do, it's always with some food and it's because I'm really, really thirsty. I enjoy it. Maybe once a month or whatever. Be that as it may. 
we are not to be enslaved and food is meant for the stomach, but proper food, not that which makes us inebriated or drug-induced. It's the next part that is really important where God talks about in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 6. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, what is Paul talking about here? Verse 14 helps to explain it. God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Now, what's the power of Christ? It's the blessings we receive and primarily the gift of the forgiveness of sins. So Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? That's found in the scripture. You may be a hand or a foot or another part of the body, but Christ is the head. And that occurs even right now if you have been baptized or have come to faith, you are part of the body of Christ. And therefore, it continues, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. And then he gives a reason. For it is written, the two will become one flesh. Now, this is a critical situation that we have in our churches today. Yes, even in the churches. People may get engaged to get married, and all of a sudden, they have, from others, the motivation to start living together. Well, you're going to be married, aren't you? Why don't you start living together now in preparation for that? That's called either fornication or adultery. We have been involved in many situations where a member of the church is committing adultery with another person. I remember one situation in which he had a mistress he still attended church with his wife and had kept the mistress a secret. But, of course, in the church, it's not long before the pastor discovers what is going on. And so what I did in that situation, 
I asked to meet with him and his mistress at her house. And they okayed that. I found out she was Presbyterian. Now, even though she was not Lutheran, Presbyterians still believe in the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And I began to talk primarily with her during our one-hour conversation at her home, indicating that she was putting both her church and herself in a situation where if she remained unrepentant over this sin and continued it, then there could be a real possibility she would not be going to heaven. About three weeks later, the husband came to me and said they had taken to heart what they had heard and they had broken up their relationship. He returned to his wife fully. And in this situation, she forgave him. And they continue now to have a joyous marriage because of the forgiveness of sins. But that always doesn't happen. I just has recently, recently been involved in another situation where the husband was meeting with a woman on Thursdays at a hotel. Every Thursday afternoon, he would show up there. Well, the wife discovered that from his credit card, he was paying the hotel money for their stay every Thursday afternoon. And when she confronted him, he said that he no longer loved her and he had another woman. Well, he is now filed for divorce. And if that goes through, that's a terrible situation because He may think that he's still a Christian and a member of the church, but he is not. Even if he attends another church secretly, and even if he takes the Lord's Supper, it is clear from 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 that that Lord's Supper is going to be a negative implication upon him. And so what was most sad about this situation is that when he announced that he was with another woman, the church elders decided not to do anything against him, even though they had plenty of evidence that he was committing adultery. See, this is where this passage is important because it says flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, 
but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, why is that? Well, verse 19 makes it clear. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Now, what's that talking about? You'll recall when Jesus was on the cross, the temple curtain tore in two. That was the curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the people into which only the high priest was permitted to go once a year to sacrifice and look forward to the coming of a savior who would take away the sins of the people. But no one else was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies. The temple was the place where God's spirit was. But when the curtain tore in two, that did not mean that we now are able to enter the Holy of Holies in that temple, but rather that God left the temple as he had done during the Babylonian captivity where the Holy Spirit went up on a mountain apart from the temple. In other words, Jesus himself cursed the temple indicating that the Holy Spirit would no longer inhabit the Holy of Holies. So where is the Holy Spirit now? His temple is within you who believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. How much clearer can it be when it says in verse 19, Do you not know? that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Now, did you pay that price? No, you did not. That price was the redemption that Jesus Christ paid for you. This is what KFUO is all about. It's many programs keep reminding you that the price Jesus paid took place on the cross. And on that cross, he died for your sins so that he could say to the Father, Father, you can now forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Jesus was following the mission of John the Baptizer, who encouraged a baptism of repentance. And that repentance meant that people became aware that they were sinners in need of a Savior. 
and repentance includes the notion on our part that we are unable to forgive ourselves in the sense of pain for our sins. That's what Jesus did on the cross, as we hear from his own words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me alone? Because Jesus, all by himself, was paying for your sins. He paid the price that you were unable to pay because we are sinners. And until we receive faith, and what is faith? Faith is to begin to trust in the promises of Jesus Christ, primarily from the cross, but also from his mission on earth. Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you. Do you get tempted? You're not tempted beyond your power to, insi- to resist. But with the temptation, I will provide a way of escape. And that escape is to turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. So what is the task of the church? The task of the church is to bring those who are committing these sins against their own body to task, to encourage them to repent of that sin so that they may be forgiven. For forgiveness is the only way of salvation. Because in Christianity, you are never forgiven because of the works that you're able to do. Since as an unbeliever, your works never have the proper motivation. But as a believer, you begin to have the proper motivation. And what is that motivation? It's the motivation from the Holy Spirit, who is within you, because you are a temple of God himself. He resides within you. And therefore, when you take your body and misuse it, you're destroying your relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's the task of the church, the pastor, and the members to encourage such people to repent of their sins, return to the Lord, thank him for forgiveness, and do the best they can in stopping that sin. Now, there are times when certain sins are difficult to stop. And one of the greatest is, of course, the sin against the body. And we have that happening in our nation today. 
where there are those who think you can have a sexual relationship with a person of the same gender, a man with a man, a woman with a woman. And that is definitely contrary to the will of God. Just read the first chapter of Romans to show how such people are despising the word of God. And it's a task of the church to bring such people under discipline. In the congregation I was involved with for almost 30 years, we did excommunication procedures seven times. Now, they did not always lead to a final excommunication because many of those excommunicated or under discipline repented of their sins ahead of time. But there were three that we did excommunicate. And I know of one who, after they left the church, did repent, but I don't know uh, what happened to the other two because they simply left the church. The church only can excommunicate those who are members of the church. Just as parents discipline their children out of love for them, so we discipline out of love because we do not want that person to have to experience hell. And that could happen when you sin against the body. 1 Corinthians 6, a great reminder that the church also needs to discipline and that discipline occurs through repentance. Tomorrow's Law and Gospel will examine the hymn, The Only Son from Heaven. Join us and also support the program by listening how to provide donations. Listen to Law God and Gospel weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your checkout to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.